Good morning. It's good to see you. Thank you for your smiles this morning. <clears throat> we are truly blessed to be in the, the house of the Lord. It is always a blessing to get together on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, to, uh, as Brother Monty Paul said in his prayer, to be reminded of those things that are most important in life and to uh, break away from those routines that become sometimes distractions from the truth of God. And we thank you for your presence this morning and hope the, uh, also as Brother Monty Paul prayed, that this, the lesson will be something that it will be easy to understand and something that will benefit each of us as we go forward through this week and on through our lives. Thank Brother Bo for the reading this morning. Uh, we recognize that reading as one of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. And Brother Franklin spoke last week specifically about the resurrection and about the, the confession of Thomas. And as he, he referred to Thomas and me and, and our, um, the ways that we relate to Thomas. Um, but I'm not going to talk about the resurrection this morning, but I want to talk about the ending of those verses that Brother Bo read to us, where these men who were walking from Jerusalem, they were walking to Emmaus, and they were sad because they had been followers of Jesus, and they had witnessed his crucifixion, and now they had heard the astounding words that he was alive, and suddenly Jesus is there with them, but they don't recognize him. And he says, oh, slow of heart. Don't you, don't you realize this was a part of God's plan? This was a part of God's plan that the Christ, the Messiah, would die for the sins of the people. And then he went, took them back to the Old Testament scriptures, and it says he expounded to them and, all, and Moses and the prophets all the things that God had revealed to us through the Old Testament about the Messiah and the Christ. And that's what I want to focus for a little bit of time this morning, you know, in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, there's a verse the Apostle Paul says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now, understand that God has always had a plan. <clears throat> it was always God's plan for Jesus to come into this world at the appointed time in the fullness of time and that that plan was always in motion, that God had been preparing the world for Christ from the very beginning. And that's what we want to look at this morning. The first thing we want to understand is that before the world began, God planned. And that God's plan was revealed to us in prophecy. But following that prophecy, there were 400 years of silence, and we're going to talk about that period of time and also when that silence was broken. And we begin with 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20, where the apostle Peter writes, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. What's that telling us? You know, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But what was happening before that, what this tells us is that God was planning. And not only was he planning his creation, but he was planning the redemption of his people, whom he foresaw 
would have that need because in free will we would sin. And because of his perfect justice, we would need a way to be reconciled to him. And that plan was through Jesus Christ. Also in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul writing here said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So what this is telling us is not only did God foreordain that Jesus would come into this world, but that through him he would have a chosen people. And those would be the people who would, were not specific individuals, but whosoever will, as the book of Revelation tells us, come and take of the water of life freely. Those who would hear and believe and obey his word and be born again new into the family of God. And then he began to reveal the plan of salvation to us through prophecy. And we go back to the book of Genesis and we see the fall of man, Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the garden. And immediately afterward, God gives us words of hope and love and encouragement. And the promise that this division that was made between God and man would not always be there, but that he had a plan for that reconciliation. He said, I will put enmity, speaking to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In this one simple verse, we see a prophecy of the incarnation of Christ, of the virgin birth, of the crucifixion, and of the ultimate defeat of Satan. Do you see those things there? God was revealing his plan from the very beginning. And then we move forward to Genesis chapter 22. When I had the opportunity to speak last month, we talked about Abraham and Isaac and the test that God brought upon Abraham and how he passed that test. And immediately after that, God re re uh, reviews or restates his promises that he made to Abraham concerning his descendants, and specifically here, he speaks of one descendant. In your seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. That this promised one that he had revealed already in Genesis chapter 3 would come through the descendants of Abraham. That promise was also, or a promise was also made to Moses when Moses delivered the law to the children of Israel. And he said, I will raise up for them a prophet because they did not want to hear the word of God. When God spoke to them directly, it scared them. And he says, but I will raise up for them a prophet from among you, from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whatsoever, whosoever will not hear my words, which he speaks my name, I will require it of him. Again, a prophecy concerning the one who would come would be a lawgiver like Moses. And there was also a promise made to David. You know, all of these we have reviewed over the past few months as we've looked at, at events in the lives of, of life of Abraham and we've looked at the life of David and we remember the promise that God made when David said, I want to build a house for you, Lord. I want to build a temple to you. And, and God said, you're not going to build a house for me. Solomon will, but you won't. But he gave him another promise. He said, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, when you have gone from this earth, David, 
He said, I'm going to set up a seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, an eternal kingdom in the lineage of David that that promised one would come through David, not only through Abraham's descendants, but also through David's. And we know when we begin the New Testament in Matthew chapter 1, as Matthew begins to expound on the genealogy of Christ, the first thing he said was Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. The fulfillment, announcing the fulfillment of those promises he had made. He gives us more clues in, in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. It says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We see, we see clues here about the person of the Messiah, the person of the Christ. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. We see that the, the in, in, inferences here, the clues about the deity of the Christ, of the Messiah. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he will bear their iniquities. And we recognize this verse from Isaiah chapter 53, which talks about the suffering servant and about the things that the Christ would go through to purchase our redemption. And so we see we, we have clues about his person. We are told about his mission. And as Jesus was talking to those on the way to Emmaus, certainly um, these are probably a part of what Jesus was revealing to them. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 even tells us where that the Messiah would be born, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you were little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. Again, a clue about the eternal nature of the Messiah, that he indeed would be God with us. And that is what was the other one of the verses I think I went through told us that, uh, behold, that a virgin would be with child, and they would call his, man, his name Emmanuel, which Matthew reveals to us means God with us. And then as we come to the end of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, the last prophetic words of the Old Testament say this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the father to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. And then, boom, silence. For 400 years, there is silence. Realize from the time of Moses to the prophetic words of Malachi, over a thousand years, God had been revealing his will and talking to his people through the lawgiver and through the prophets. But as these final prophetic words are spoken, God becomes silent. So let's talk a minute about what happened in the next 400 years, those years of silence. The first thing we want to look at is what happened historically in the world that impacted God's chosen people, the Jewish people. Number one, and I apologize for the small, I, I didn't make this very big for you to read. Uh, 
536 to 537, when we looked at the life of Daniel, we remember at the end of the captivity, which happened around 536, 537 B.C., that the Jewish people were allowed to return to Jerusalem. It was during the days of the Persian kings, just as, as Daniel had prophesied in, in that vision that he had interpreted for Nebuchadnezzar, that prophecy that God gave concerning the succession of kingdoms that would come following Nebuchadnezzar. And so at the end, just as God had instructed or, or uh, told us through, told the children of Israel through prophecy that at the end of that 70 years, they were going to return. And so they returned to build the temple and rebuild the city and the walls. And we remember those prophecies that we read in Daniel concerning this. So that, that period of time happened and these things began and the city was rebuilt in the temple. And then again, just as Daniel had prophesied around 333 BC, we see the rise of the Greek empire and Alexander the Great and how he goes out and conquers the world and he defeated the Medes and the Persians. And those who were in Palestine, those who were in, in Judea, suddenly came under the rule of the Greek empire. The other thing that we wrecked, that we see that happened during this time is as Alexander went about conquering that under the tutelage of Greek philosophy, he sought to spread the influence of the Greek, Greek, that Greek philosophy and the Greek culture as he went through. And so we see that, we see the impact of the Greek culture, not only in the world, but we also see its impact upon Judea. We see the impact upon the children of God, upon the children of Israel that happened during this period of time. In 174 BC, a man named Antiochus IV, or he was also known as Epiphanes, gained control of Judea so that we understand when Alexander the Great conquered, he did it in very swift fashion. But Alexander died as a young man. In fact, he only ruled for about 10 years. And that following his death, that the Greek empire was divided among his four generals. And so the general who had control of Palestine, where the Jews were, his name was Ptolemy. It's spelled P-T-O-L-E-M-Y, I believe. Ptolemy was that general who, who was given control of Egypt and that path up through um, Palestine to Syria. And there was another man who was another general that was given control of the, the area north of Palestine, or which was known as Syria, and there was war between these two. So the other thing that you saw was once Alexander died and the, the kingdom was divided, that there was inner fighting between those generals for control of more and more of the land as they sought to increase their power and their influence. But... Initially, again, the Ptolemies had control of, of Palestine, and they, they sought to bring that Greek influence to Palestine, but ultimately they pretty much allowed the Jewish people to, to govern themselves. And so they allowed them to keep their religion, and, and the high priest um, kind of became the emissary between the Jewish people. He became sort of the, not only the highest priest, but kind of the leader who was in contact with the leaders of other nations. And we see that as time goes on, that has an influence on the high priesthood, that it became 
much more of a political position than the, the religious leader of the Jewish people. And so we see that happening. But again, this man named Antiochus was of the, uh, the solutions, I believe, is how some, something like that, how, they, how it's pronounced. The people who, the governor who, who had the control of the area of Syria, and as they battled, uh, and you know, generations passed, and the descendants of these, these kings or these, these governors continued this battle, well, finally the solutions through Antiochus gain, they finally win control of, of Palestine. And so, actually, Daniel prophesies about this man too, if we look in Daniel chapter 11, and we won't go into the, the weeds of those details, but Daniel prophesied specifically about this individual and how wicked that he would be. And so this man sought to crush the, Jew, the, uh, the religion of the Jews. And so he outlawed, um, he outlawed practicing Judaism. Um, he took control of Palestine. He desecrated the temple. He burned copies of the Old Testament. He forbade circumcision. He did everything he could to try to stamp out the true religion of God and the true teaching of the true God. But after a short period of time, there was a man named Judas Maccabees, Maccabeus um, who, who started a rebellion or he organized a rebellion against Epiphanes. And so through a series of battles through guerrilla warfare, he, he and his family who led this rebellion, they were able to recapture Jerusalem. And there was a great celebration of that in, 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 uh, among the Jews. In fact, they dedicated a feast day. It was called the Feast of Dedication of, of in memory of when they recaptured the city of Jerusalem and retook the temple. And they went in and they purified the temple. And they restored the worship, the true worship of God. You know, and we see that. We see that in the New Testament. When we come to the New Testament, we see it it's spoken about that Jesus walked in the temple during the time of the Feast of Dedication. We know that today as Hanukkah. That's, what, that's where Hanukkah, the celebration of the Jewish uh, feast day or the festival of Hanukkah comes from. So all of these things again were happening. And we see the changes that were happening within the... the uh, within Palestine and within the Jewish people because all of this is setting up for what's the, the, the state of conditions that will be when the fullness of time has come. In 63 BC, the Roman Empire, just as Daniel had prophesied when he talked about that nation that was represented by iron and iron mixed with clay, which was the Roman Empire, and how they took control. And when they did, they took control of Palestine. And the governance of Palestine was, again, uh, was once again changed. And we see that in 37 BC, Herod the Great was appointed by the Romans to be the client king over Palestine. So when we read about Herod in the New Testament, we recognize that he was an appointment by the Roman Empire. He was a descendant of Esau. He was an Edomite. He was not a Jew, but he was converted to Judaism before he was appointed as king. And so he had, he had knowledge of the law of God. He had knowledge of the, the, the uh, culture and the um, traditions of the Jewish people. <clears throat> the other thing that we know we want to look at is what happened with religious Israel that we've kind of talked about uh, already in, 
And Brother Ian talked about this when he introduced to us the book of John, so we won't spend a lot of time, but, but understand some of these changes that happened during that 400 years. Well, something that came very, became very prevalent was what was called the Talmud or the unwritten law, the oral law, the, the law of traditions that was passed down according to uh, the Jewish people they believed from Moses. And what this was was an add-on to the written law of Moses. And so it was explanations It was commentary on the law of Moses that they believed was passed down from generation to generation. But during this time, it became more prevalent and it took more, it became more authoritative. Uh, People began to give more authority to uh, that that, that, uh, unwritten law, that oral law. And we see, we remember when Jesus confronted those who he said, they made the, the, the word of God of none effect by their traditions. This is what he was referring to, that they had, they had eventually given the same amount of regard to this unwritten law that they did to the true written law of God. And through that, they actually they changed, the, they changed the meaning in many ways of the true law of God and the purpose of God's law. And it became, it became something of a kind of a beast of its own, uh, so to speak. The other thing that we see that we don't see in the Old Testament is the appearance of the synagogue. You know, in the Old Testament, we don't read about that. But during the the time of exile, when they were away from their homeland, the children of Israel in, in exile began to meet in local congregations. And they would meet to sing songs and to pray and to read the law. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Um, a very simple worship process that began there and when they returned to their homeland they brought that practice with them and so when we begin reading in the New Testament we read about the synagogues in every village there was a synagogue and this synagogue was uh, usually they they had to have at least 10 men faithful men to organize a synagogue and there was usually one or, or multiple teachers in the synagogue and usually these were the Pharisees, they were the people who were out there among the common people. And so, again, this is something that we see that happened during this 400 years. The other thing we saw, we see, is a, is a change from tribalism to religious sects. And, and again, Brother Ian talked about this. We see the rise of the Pharisees. You know, following that rebellion, that revolt against Epiphanes, we, we start to see the rise of this um, society called the Pharisees, and they sought, they started with a very noble cause because they wanted to resist the Greek influence that they were seeing permeating their culture. And so this was, they wanted to be caught, set, up, set apart to hold to the true will of God and to the true word of God. But again, as time went on, it became not so much about God and it became about them. And so They became very popular among the people, and they gained a power because of that, that they uh, coveted. Um, And so when we see Jesus appear, and we see that Jesus is popular among the common people, they became insanely jealous of Jesus. But this is something that happened during that time. The other thing that we see that we read about in the New Testament is the Sadducees. And the Sadducees were kind of the elite. They were the wealthy. They were... Um, primarily the high priests were of the Sadducees. And we, again, we, we look at some of their um, characteristics. 
that they believed in the Torah, that the books of Moses, but they did not believe in the, the words of the prophets. They didn't believe that the prophets were inspired. And so they did not believe in eternal life. They did not believe in a resurrection. And so to me, that would be such a hopeless, <laughs> a hopeless existence. But they, were very, they became very secular and very worldly. And so when we see in the New Testament where Jesus begins to gain popularity, the, the, again, these people, um, the high priest saw their power to a large extent was granted to them by the, those who uh, ruled over them, the Romans or the Greeks. And so they politically wanted to be aligned with those people. And when Jesus was announced as the Messiah, the king of the Jews, they became fearful that if, if the Romans recognized that there was someone who was claiming to be king of the Jews, that that, that could cause the Romans to come in and take away the authority that they had given to them. And so there was... There was a threat. We see that Jesus was a threat to both the Pharisees and to the Sadducees. Some of the other aspects that happened during this period of time, number one, uh, was called the Roman peace. And the Roman peace was a period of very, um, something that was very uncommon in the history of the world, that, that there was actually peace, that there was a relief from war. But again, in, in God's providence, he was preparing for that fullness of time. And that period lasted for about 200 years, from 27 B.C. to 180 A.D. What happened during that time? The ministry of Christ, the gospel, the birth of the church, and the spread of the gospel. All during that period of time called the Roman peace. The other thing that happened is the Romans built a system of highways that connected the known world at that time, which made ease of travel. So as the gospel began to be spread, there was these roads that you could, you could access the communities of the world with ease. Of course, you had to primarily do it by foot, but, but there was this connection that, that created an ease of access for the spreading of the gospel. There was also a freedom of travel that was granted to people within the Roman Empire so they could travel freely and they could carry the ideas and the message of the gospel. The Greek language became the common language of commerce and ideas. And we see that, that the Jewish people, again with Greek influence, became somewhat uh, conversant uh, in Greece. It was the common, in Greek, and it was the common language. The, the official language of Rome was Latin, but the common language that was spoken for commerce and ideas through the, world was, through the world was Greek. And we see that during this time that the Torah was translated to Greek. And that was the Septuagint. Is that how you say it, Ian? That, that, that oldest manuscript, the oldest manuscript of, of Greek was, was, trans, was translated. And that was, um, that was uh, ordered or, or uh, commanded by one, of, by one of the Ptolemies, by one of the, uh, one of the Greeks that they... Because of not only was Greek influencing, Greece was influencing, influencing the world, but they were also being influenced by the Jewish people. And so they had a desire to understand the writings of the Old Testament. And so we see its translation into Greek. And of course, when the New Testament is written, it's the language it is written in is Greek. And then we see the, new, the Jewish dispersion. From the time that the children of Israel had been taken into exile... <clears throat> they had 
beginning with, with those of the northern kingdom, that they were, they were transplanted around the world. And through that, the knowledge of the true God was also interspersed throughout the Gentile world. Uh, we see that furthered by the Babylonian exile. And when the children of Israel returned, a lot of them stayed behind voluntarily. They chose not to return. But that influence, again, of, of the knowledge of the true God was there and the, the basis for preaching the gospel based on the Old Testament scripture was, was also there. When the Greeks uh, took over, they also used the Jewish people as settlers to go into new areas and to, as they started settlements. And again, when Paul goes to, begins to go into Europe to preach the gospel, what does he find there? He finds synagogues of Jewish believers, doesn't he? And that's always where he went first, was to preach first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. But we see, again, that God is preparing the world for Christ. And then finally, the silence is broken. <clears throat> the, the silence is broken. And we read uh, in Luke chapter 1, where Luke, who was not an eyewitness to the life of Christ, but wrote his gospel based on interviews with those who were eyewitnesses. So <clears throat> with people like... Paul and Peter and Mary and others of the disciples that he researched and through the Holy Spirit wrote the things in order, in, in chronological order to a large degree of the, the events that happened. And the first thing that, that Luke records concerning this is that in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, there was a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of God. And so we see that, again, as, as God had foretold through Daniel, that in the days of the Roman kings, he was going to establish a kingdom that would never be destroyed. And so that time is here, and we see the silence of God is broken. And he breaks that silence by speaking to this man, <clears throat> Zacharias. Um, back up just one second. So a couple of things about Zacharias. It says he was, a, he was a priest, so he served in the temple. And he was of the division of Abijah. So there were 24 divisions of priests. Um, I don't know how many there were at the time of Christ. Some, someone I heard somewhere said there were in the tens of thousands, maybe between 20 and 30,000 priests that served in the temple. And so they were in these different divisions and twice a year, their division would go and they would serve in the temple for a week. Um, they also served in all, in all the feast days, they, they served, but the rest of the time they, they taught and they served in their local communities. Um, <clears throat> So this tells us something about Zacharias, and it says that his, his wife was also a descendant of Aaron, as, as, he, as he would have been also of the tribe of Levi, and, and descendants of, apparently both were descendants of Aaron, and they were both righteous before God, walking in the commandments and ordinance of the Lord blameless. Now let's again think about the time period that these people lived. This was a, a dark time. Um, we see the falling away as, as usual from the true law of God among many of the religious leaders of the day. We see the, the self-absorption of those, those uh, religious leaders. But, we, but 
Like in all times, we find people who were faithful to God. We find people who were of a true heart and who served God um, in, in spirit and in truth, that they sought to do the will of God. And among those were Zacharias and Elizabeth. It said, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and were both and both were well advanced in years. So it was while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. So, so a couple of things it tells us, number one, that, that he and Elizabeth were, were faithful servants of God, but they had been granted no children. And in that day and time, that was something that, that, was, that brought, almost brought shame on people because people um, looked at that as that, that God was for some reason displeased with them and therefore uh, Elizabeth was unable to have children. Um, and so this is something that, that they had lived with, that they, that, that kind of a burden that they carried uh, because of that. But despite that, they were faithful and they trusted God. Um, we see that this was a time that one week a year when his division was serving in the temple. And it says that he was, the lot fell to him to burn incense. And, and again, reading about this, there were so many priests. It was, for many of them, they never had the opportunity to burn incense in the temple. For many, it was a once-in-a-lifetime uh, thing that they, were, that they were able to do. So this was something that was very special, a uh, very special time for Zacharias and something that, again, if you only get to do it once in your life, maybe you, it's going to be something you could take very seriously. In fact, you might even be a little bit nervous about that, you know. There's my, my one chance I get to go in and do this. And then certainly he would have been in awe and in reverence as he entered the holy place the, the, in the temple to, to do this. And it says, and the whole multitude of people outside were praying at the hour of incense. So this is something else that was common for people to do, that the incense was burned twice a day. And as the priest went in to burn the incense, that people would gather outside to pray as they waited for that priest to emerge. And when he emerged, he usually would give them a benediction, that he would give them he would, he would bless them or he would, he would speak to them briefly about the promises of God and the things that they prayed for, which what was probably one of the most prominent things they prayed for was what? The Messiah, the coming of the Messiah. And so these people were, as their custom, they were outside waiting as Zacharias went in. It says, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense, and when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. Okay. <laughs> so Zacharias may be the only time he's ever gotten to go in and burn incense. Probably the one thing he was not expecting to see was an angel. Um, in fact, I'm sure <laughs> he was not expecting to see an angel when he went in there. But as he's going about his business, he sees this angel. And the angel doesn't approach him, but he sees him. What does an angel look like? I don't know. But I can tell you this, they don't look normal to us because when people see angels in the Bible, what happens? They're usually afraid. Their appearance is fearful, whether they're glowing or whatever it is about them, it's something that we're not used to seeing. And so naturally his reaction is he becomes afraid. What, what is going on? What is this that I'm seeing? But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. The angel recognizes 
the fear that is in Zach Zacharias. And the theme of the pronouncement from the angel to not be afraid is something that will echo through the New Testament, right? As we, as people are witnesses to the fulfillment of God's promises in the life of Christ and in the miracles that he performs, what does Jesus tell them? Do not be afraid. Remember this, that I am from God and, in God, and God is in control. And therefore, trust God and do not be afraid <clears throat> to carry out his will in your life. Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. The first thing he tells him is your prayer is heard. What had Zacharias and Elizabeth probably prayed for most of their life? They had probably prayed for a child. Amongst all the other things they prayed concerning the will of God, you know they prayed for a child, and that's confirmed by the angel. <clears throat> and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you shall have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. So Zacharias is hearing these things, and he's seeing this angel. And his mind has to be going about a 1,000 miles an hour as he's hearing all these things. One of the things that we see, though, as we go forward, well, let's not jump ahead. For Again, talking about this child, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall neither drink wine nor strong drink, and he will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Who's he talking about? Do you remember the closing prophecy of the Old Testament? from Malachi, where he said, I'm going to, I'm going to spend, send Elijah to you to, to prepare the way of the Lord, to make way, the way of the, the, to prepare the people, to turn their hearts, to prepare them for the Lord. Who's he talking about? He's talking about John the Baptist, isn't he? That's who this, that's who this child that Zacharias and Elizabeth were going to have. And so we see the, the words echo, and, and again, when the, the silence began with that prophecy from Malachi, and it ends here with a declaration from the angel that that herald has come. That herald was going to be born to the, to, in the family of Zacharias and Elizabeth. And he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. I sent to you Elijah. We hear the words of Malachi. And to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is a lot for Zacharias to hear. <laughs> Certainly these are probably scriptures he was familiar with, but in his mind, they weren't quite ready to register. <clears throat> you know, sometimes we're not prepared for what we're not prepared. <laughs> sometimes we can only see what we're prepared to see. Uh, at this point, Zacharias was not quite ready to see this. And, and Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man, my wife is well advanced in years. Certainly, this was a descendant of Abraham. <laughs> so don't we, don't we see Abraham here when, when God tells him that he and Sarah are going to have a child and they laughed? That's, that's kind of Zacharias. This angel has just told him, not only are you going to have a child, but this is the promised herald of the Christ, of the Messiah, the one who will come in the spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of the people. And what does he say? This can't be. We're too old to have kids. Are you sure you got the right people? <laughs> and the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring these glad tidings. 
wake up, Zacharias. I am the angel Gabriel whom I am here speaking to you. You have to believe that the words I'm speaking to you are from God and they are the truth. Do you remember the other time we've run into Gabriel? It was back in the book of Daniel, wasn't it? When Daniel was prophesying, when he gave to Daniel that prophecy about the 70 weeks, that period of time that was going to pass between the, the, the commandment to go and rebuild the city and the walls of Jerusalem and the time of the appearance of the Messiah. And we haven't seen Gabriel since then, but now he's here. Because not only is John going to herald the coming of the king, he's going to herald the coming of the kingdom. <clears throat> and he says, I was sent to you to bring these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. How will I know these things? Just watch. <laughs> They're going to happen. You don't have to talk about it. In fact, you can't talk about it. In fact, this, you're looking for a sign. This is your sign. You're not going to be able to speak until these things are fulfilled, till these things come about. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. This, this was an event that usually probably only took a few minutes. Zacharias was in there much longer because he was encountering an angel of God and he was receiving a prophecy and the fulfillment of prophecy that God had blessed he and Elizabeth to be a part of. But when he came out, he could not speak to them and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. And you can almost see him you know, something happened in there. I saw this angel. and I mean, he's trying to sign to them, but they, they don't know what he's talking about, but they recognize that something has happened, <clears throat> and he remained speechless. And so it was that as soon as the days of his service were completed that he departed to his own house. So what happened for the rest of the time that he was there? He went about his work in silence. And there's an irony here, isn't there? <laughs> What has been happening for the past 400 years? God has been going about his work in silence. He has been silently preparing the world for the Messiah. And what's going to happen in the life of Zacharias for the next nine plus months? He's going to be preparing for a child in silence. He's going to go about his work in silence as God brings about his plan. <clears throat> Now, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. And so, again, we see this burden lifted from Elizabeth. God had never told them no, but God had told them wait. And there's a lesson for us. You know, the Scripture tells us, Don't be weary in well-doing, for in due time we will reap. In due time we're going to reap if, if we continue to if we continue to do the right things, if we continue to pray for the right things, that we don't become weary in those things. We don't give up on the promises of God that we are faithful and we trust in those things through good times and through bad. Now, we're going to skip down to verse 40, 40 to 57 where it says, Now Elizabeth full time came for her to be delivered and she brought forth a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. We noticed in the previous verse that she hid herself for five months. She was probably just waiting to make sure that this one's going to stick, right? 
Perhaps she had been down this road before and had not been able to carry through. <clears throat> but for whatever reason, she hid herself. But when the, the, day, the day came, just as the angel had said, there was rejoicing. Her, her, her burden had been lifted, and she and, and Zacharias had, had a child, and they, they rejoiced, and, their, and their, those around them rejoiced with them. And so it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. Again, Zacharias, he still can't talk. And according to what we see here, he probably can't hear either because we're going to see they, they're going to try to talk to him in sign language. But those who come to perform the circumcision, they're going to they're name the child Zacharias. And his mother answered, said, no, wait, wait. He's going to be called John. And they said, what? There's no one among your relatives. You don't have any relatives named John. And again, we see the tradition of, of the Jewish people here that you can't do that. That's out of the norm. But things are going to be out of the norm for a while. Things, times, they are a-changing. And so she says, no. His name is going to be called John, but they don't take her word for it. <laughs> so they made signs to his father what he would have been called. So they, again, apparently can't hear either because they're trying. Somehow they sign language him to ask him what's the name, and he calls for something to write. He says he calls for a writing tablet, and he wrote saying his name is John. And there's significance in that name. And John, your name means God is gracious. <clears throat> God is gracious. What an introduction to the herald of the New Testament, the herald of the Christ, whose name meant God is gracious. God is gracious and merciful towards us, and the message of the gospel would be introduced uh, through John. And immediately, so they all marveled, and immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue was loosed, and he spoke, praising God. At the fulfillment of God's promise concerning this child that would be born, his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak. The, his silence was broken just as God's silence was broken in introducing and declaring through Gabriel the angel the coming of the herald of Christ. <clears throat> and then fear came on all those who dwelt around them and all these things were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea and all those who heard them kept this in their hearts saying, what kind of child will this be? God was making waves, wasn't he? Not only was he preparing the world for Christ. Of the, the Jews for Christ through, through John, but he was preparing those neighbors for the person who John would be also. The beginning of the good news that would be manifest in Christ. So some things that we take away from the lesson this morning. Number one, that God has a plan. <clears throat> God has always had a plan, and that plan was for our redemption. <clears throat> and he is working his plan even today to secure our redemption in, in Christ. Number two, we are called to be of God, a part of God's plan in Christ, not specific people, but whosoever will. As John was, was called to, to point people to Christ, so, and he was born into this world to be the herald of Christ, so we also are born again into the family of God to point people to Christ, that God's timing is perfect and that he hears our prayers, that God's timing has always been perfect, and God prepares for that perfect time. And it is also in our lives, again, that we don't be weary in well-doing, but that we, that we understand that God does hear our prayers and that he will answer them in due time and in his perfect way. And finally, that God is in control. 
despite all the darkness in the world around us, despite political upheaval and wars and inflation and all of the things that trouble and distract us, ultimately we are God's and that God has a plan for us and that is what we rejoice in day to day. Never knowing those present, if you've never become a part of God's plan through accepting his son and believing that he is the son of God, believing that, that you are willing to confess that belief, that you would be buried with, obey him in baptism, be buried with him in baptism, to rise to walk in newness of life, your past forgiven, your future secured. If we can assist you with that this morning, if we can, or we can assist you in prayer, we invite you to come forward while we stand and sing the song that's been selected.